Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 25. We are now in the fourth Sunday of Lent, and I'm going to do the readings for the fourth Sunday of Lent. <clears throat> so let's begin with the act of contrition in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary ever Virgin and all the angels and saints and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, we are now. In the uh, fourth Sunday of Lent, Latria Sunday, which is um, Light Sunday, I guess you know, sun, the the it, because basically Christ describes himself as the light of the world. So, okay, rejoice, Jerusalem, and all who love her. Be joyful, all who wear. In mourning, exult and be satisfied at her consoling breast. Okay. All right. So I'm going to read, I'm going to quote this psalm here, Psalm 36. This is uh, from the Magnificat. They have here morning prayer, but I'm going to do this for uh, before we go into the readings. Your love, Lord, reaches to heaven. Your truth to the skies. Your justice is like God's mountain. Your judgment like the deep. To both man and beast, you give protection. O Lord, how precious is your love. My God, the sons of men find refuge in the shelter of your wings. They feast on the riches of your house. They drink from the stream of your delight. In you is the source of life. In And in your light, we see light. Keep on loving those who know you, doing justice for upright hearts. Let the foot of the proud not crush me, nor the hand of the, wick, of the wicked cast me out. See how the evildoers fall, flung down, they shall never arise. Glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. And here's a quote. Um, here's something, uh, a verse from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 2, 22, and 25. I also saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and from from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, God Almighty and the Lamb. During the day, it, its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So, I've noticed, um, you know, ever since this woke stuff, there's actually some pretty cool new uh, people out there defending the faith. Uh, like recently, I came across this uh, uh, Calvin Robinson. Uh, I believe he's already got ordained by the Free Anglican Church. And also came across this um, uh, YouTuber 
Uh, she doesn't give her real name. Um, she goes by the title of her YouTube, Christ Defender. She's pretty cool. She's British also. Extremely knowledgeable. I mean, her, and also eloquent in how she um, presents her apologetics. Beautifully eloquent. Um, you wouldn't, by looking at her, uh, she kind of has a, I guess you could say, I don't know if you call it a punk style, but she cuts her hair in a certain way. This would appear that way. You would never, I mean, I'm guessing if I met her on the subway or walked down the street in Greenwich Village, I would never know she was a practicing Christian, which proves to you, you know, don't judge by appearances. <laughs> um that's all she goes by is Christ defender and she defends a Christian faith. I don't think she's Catholic, but she definitely like knows her Bible. She knows theology. She's fantastic at, uh, I mean, she's great at, at of, uh, uh, apologetics and history. Um, how to explain things like she's she's not afraid to talk about the woke she's not afraid to talk about transgenderism she's not afraid to talk about homosexuality in general she's not afraid to talk about any of these things you just basically have to be prepared if you're debating her that you can debate and also you better be prepared uh, in my opinion, to like answer history. You better know your history well. You better know your church fathers. You better know how to talk about morality. You better know you better know your stuff. You better know it because she's done her homework. She's a walking encyclopedia. She's a walking theological book. She's a walking the uh a philosopher's book. She's not afraid. And she knows how to talk about everything. So that's pretty much it. All right, let's move on to the readings. All right, the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to um, verses 1, 6, 7, and 10 to 13. It's abbreviated, but Let's, let's read it. The Lord said to Samuel, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I have chosen you, my king, from among his sons. As Jesse and his sons came to the sacrifice, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge from his appearances or from his lofty stature, because I have rejected him. Not as a man sees, does God see, because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. In the same way, Jesse presented seven sons before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any one of these. Then Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse replied, There is still the youngest, who is tending the sheep. Samuel said to, his, said to Jesse, Send for him. We will not begin the sacrificial banquet until he arrives here. Jesse sent and had the young man brought to them. He was ruddy, a youth, handsome to behold, and making a splendid appearance. The Lord said, there anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel, with the horn of oil in hand, anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. The word of the Lord. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want in vernon pastures he gives me repose. Beside restful waters he leads me. He refreshes my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. 
He guides me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil, for you are at my side with your rod and your staff that give me courage. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. You spread the table before me in the sight of my foes. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Only goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. All right, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 8 to 14. Brothers and sisters, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitless works of darkness, rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention the things done by them in secret, but everything but everything exposed by the light becomes visible for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is sa- it is says it says Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, one more time. Brothers and sisters, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for light produces every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in fruitless work of darkness, Rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention the things done by them in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... In the first reading, God told Samuel to get ready, pack up, fill your horn with oil, with uh, anointing oil, and go out to Bethlehem to Jesse. Um, I guess you could say that Samuel must have known Jesse. Maybe he might have known him through some earlier encounter or you know not recorded in scripture man had seven sons you can imagine possibly maybe he you know was widowed and married again who knows but the fact the interesting part of that scene is that the first son Eliab Samuel looked at him. He was tall. He was strong. And God told him, no, not him. Don't. God does not judge by appearance. But by, you know, the. um, By by the heart. You know, and it's it's very interesting how. um, Not as man sees as God sees, because man sees the appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. The Lord looks into the heart. So Samuel had to pray for God to open his his spiritual eyes. You have to see things through the eyes of God, which is very difficult. It's impossible for us human beings. But not if you ask God for the grace. Because remember, this is after the failure of Saul. Saul was a, a fantastic guy. You know, he was your your perfect image of what a king should be. But he was a disaster. Saul, King Saul's heart was not in 
with God. He became a politician. He saw things in a carnal way. He saw things in an earthly way. Saul could not bring himself to see things as God sees. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of prayer. You know, it's a relationship with God. And you have to have a relationship with God. You will never understand. It's, it, it, it's a relationship like any other relationship. You will never understand that person. If you say you love that person, you have to commit yourself to that person. You have to commit yourself in the relationship. Saul committed himself to politics. And he saw things in a political way, in an earthly manner. Not in the manner of God. So, yeah, this is difficult. It is difficult indeed. How do you see things the way God sees them? You have to commit yourself to God. For us, we have to ask for the grace to see with spiritual eyes, with with holy eyes. We have to commit ourselves to this. Remember, like in the second reading, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord. You cannot learn what is pleasing to the Lord if you do not commit yourself to the Christian life. If you want to keep seeing things like a mortal man, you want like a, an earthly manner in a beastly manner, then you will see things and you will think like that and you will act like that and you will walk like that and you will treat your friends in that manner. But if you want to see things as God sees them, you have to commit to God. So, yeah, exactly. And then suddenly David comes in and then suddenly... You know, he went through all the sons and found out there's a youngest. You see, just because you don't see something does not mean it's not there. The boy was out in the field tending with the sheep. He was taking care of the sheep. He was a little shepherd boy. You know, I mean, who knows? He was probably older, like older than 13, most likely. He would have to have had his bar mitzvah at least. But here, He, they get him. There was going to be a religious service. This is before the temple. Things were a little different. And then suddenly, he, he, you know, David steps into the picture. He was ruddy. His face was a little red, I guess you can say. And he probably ran down. He, he went running back. He was sweaty, and but he was strong. He was handsome to behold, making a splendid appearance. The Lord said, there, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took out his horn and he poured it over him and the Holy Spirit came upon David. And from then on, David began his, a different life. He had a relationship with the Lord and he began, he had a relationship and he saw things the way God sees them. Not an easy task, but it takes time. You have to pray. You know, in this kind of, you know, in this kind of, you have to pray. You have to be in the relationship. You have to be in a serious relationship to see what God sees, not to see as men do. And that's what happened. It's fantastic. So let's, um, and of course, we have Psalm twenty-three. Uh, a famous psalm that's attributed to King David. And, um, well, it's a famous psalm. It's not just a psalm set for funerals. It can be said at any time. This is, this is it. You know, this is the moment. David begins to, all his prayers, his devotion to God 
showed in his Psalms. And he drew other people like himself to write songs for, for, for the Lord. I mean, you know, it, you have to have a deep relationship with God. All right, let's continue. The verse before the gospel, I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. The man who was blind went off and washed himself and came back able to see. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 9, verse 1 to 41. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents sinned. It is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on, on his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said it is, but others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am. So they said to him, who, how were your eyes opened? He replied, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went there and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes and washed, and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. Now the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and gained his sight until they summoned his, the parents of the one who had gained his sight. They asked them, is this your son, who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. We do not know how he sees. We do not know how he sees now, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said this because... They were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged him as the Christ, he would, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age. Ask, uh, question him. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledges him, acknowledges him as Christ, he would be expelled from the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, question him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, if he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? 
How did he open your eyes? He answered. Sorry. He answered them. I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They ridiculed him and said, You are that man's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we do not know where this one is from. The man answered and said to them, This is what it is. This is, this is what is so amazing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if one is devout and does his will, he listens to him. It is unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything. They answered and said to him, You were born totally in sin, and are you trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment, so that those who do not see might see, and those who do see might become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying, We see, so your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right, here's something from Mother Mary Frances of Our Lady. She was, um, Mother Mary Frances died in 2006, was an abbess of the Poor Clare Monastery of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Roswell, New Mexico. So maybe it's angels, not aliens. They say, they, they're, they're investigating the courage that comes from being healed. The man born blind questions, questioned Jesus, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Our Lord answered him with supreme majesty. You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. When our Lord pronounced this most majestic word, almost saying his name, I am, the man whispered him, the man worshipped him. Life had become so simple, so very simple. It is never God who makes our lives complicated or morose or unhappy. It is we who do it by not realizing the grace of being forgiven, being freed, being freed to confess the truth about ourselves because we have been forgiven. A person who has been forgiven is a happy person, a person who is at ease spiritually. We still, we still grieve for our sins and our faults, but we go forward when we are forgiven. There is a legend, which is certainly deeply rooted in truth, that St. Peter, having wept at cockcrow at the three denials that were inst instigated by his weakness, wept so much throughout his life that he wept pharaohs, pharaohs into his cheeks. But Peter didn't just sit there and weep. He went out and preached and he taught. He was a pilgrim going from place to place, and he suffered and he died. When we have a real contrition, when we have real contrition, it is never intended. It is never intend. Um, sorry. When we have 
I lost my place. <laughs> is never int um, intent. Uh, I'm sorry. When we have real contrition, it is never interred. It is never something that in any way invites us to melancholy, much less to despair. But it begets in us a new intention to do and to suffer for Christ. In the gospel for Letria Sunday, our Lord is giving us an actual happening and letting us take for ourselves a spiritual parable of our own blindness or sinful, sinfulness, which he heals, which he heals in being healed of blindness. We find new courage. I think we can be confident that this blind beggar would in no way have spoken to those Pharisees like if he like that if he hadn't been cured by the Lord. A great courage comes with being forgiven. Perhaps I'm sorry. Perhaps the man's parents were so frightened because they hadn't been forgiven enough or hadn't been forgiven yet. When we confess our sinfulness, we know that we have been forgiven. If we understand what sinfulness is, th then we hurry forward. We keep in our hearts, but we do not sit down and weep. We are on the move. It will be wonderful in eternity to know just what this blind man did afterward. All right. So that's one. Sorry about the little pause. I, I lost my place. So that was, um, that was beautiful about, this is from, uh, Mother Mary Francis of Our Lady. Uh, Mother Mary Francis, 2006 was abbess of the Poor Clare Monastery of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Roswell, New Mexico. All right. So, um, interesting thing to note, the fact that Jesus spat on the ground and made clay, a clay ointment, and rubbed it into his, you know, uh, rubbed it, to where his eyes are supposed to be. Because the reason why I say this is because if you notice how people say, how did he open your eyes? The, the implication is that the man had a severe deformity that he may have been born with no eyes. You know, cases like that happen where, you know, a deformity of some defect from birth that he had no eyes. That's why people say it. he only looks like the one who, who begged at the gate because the fact is they, he was suddenly he had eyes and you know, it, the features are going to look different and he's you know, people have difficulty recognizing him, which is, you know, Jesus was finishing. Jesus was basically by sp spitting on the ground and making this clay bomb and then sculpting his eyes in. Rubbing it on was like a form of sculpting. He was, it's called back to creation. Man created God created man from the earth by the clay of the earth, like a, like, you know, God is a sculptor, which is, God is an artist. He's a divine artist. He's the divine creator. And so here he was doing this and he was doing this on the Sabbath again, um, driving them crazy because, you know, he, you know, he is the Lord of the Sabbath and being the Lord of the Sabbath, he can do whatever he wants being that he is God. But they can't see that. And the fact that he gave the man eyes and suddenly this man who had no eyes suddenly has eyes and suddenly can see and understand. 
I was blind and now I see. You see the amazing grace? Uh, he says that. That's where the amazing grace sto- uh, song uh, lyric comes from. It's... We, in some cases, because remember, are very much... When we're, when we're, we can be spiritually blind and we can be far more, in a sense, deformed, in a sense, because of our sins. Anger, despair, takes, you know, blurs that image of God in us, blurs us spiritually deforms us spiritually. We could be so mired into sin. And that's that's dangerous. When we refuse to admit that we have sins. Remember he said that. Because you say, you see, your sins remain. That should be, that's scary. That is scary. It'll be interesting to see if Dallas Jenkins does this, you know, in a sense. Some Pharisees, let me read this, who were with him heard this and said to him, Surely we're not blind, we are we are not also blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you are saying we see, so your sin remains. That is scary. You don't want to be on that on end on that end. I don't want to be on that end. I don't want to be like them. Okay, that's that is scary and dangerous. It is scary and dangerous. You don't want to be one of them. But why today we have people who think they see and they think they can Call evil good and good evil. Do you, I don't want to be one of those people. I mean, there are people in the church like that. We have clerics who think that way. We have lay people who think that way. And one of the things I've noticed... Um, it seems that we have a lot of religious people in the church who don't know how to talk about Christ, who don't know how to talk about our Lord. They have difficulty expressing Christ, talking about Christ. And, and the answer is they don't know him. That's the problem. They don't know him. When you live in the gospel, when you live in the sacraments, you can see Jesus. You can see him. You'll recognize him. You'll you know him immediately. And he knows us. The fact that, you know, you can't worry about the world. You cannot worry about what the world thinks. The world will think whatever it wants. They just want you to bend the knee to them and acknowledge their sin. They don't care about Christ. They don't care about Jesus. They don't care about the church. They don't care about the sacraments. They don't care about baptism they don't care about forgiveness of sins they don't care about the worship what they want is they want you to bow down to them and acknowledge their sin and acknowledge them but let me tell you something when it comes to mercy they won't show you mercy when it comes to love they will not show you love they love their sin they love their sin. It's, it's a psychological obsession. 
that they there that that sin must be acknowledged and we all do this we all want we all want when we're in a sinful state we all want it we want we we want what we want and and to hell with everything else and we we would even say it to god but the point is sin makes you miserable sin makes you unhappy Sin is not anything about love. They say now love is love. What does that mean? How do you know love is love? How do you know it is? Are you sure it's about it's about love? Or is are you sure it's not about lust? You can't love and lust is not the same thing. Sex and love is not the same thing. All right? It's not. And sex is not an identity. Gender. This whole thing now, they're, they're, they're talking about gender. I don't think they even care about that. It's all about lust. It's all about perversion. It's nothing to do with love. Okay, it has nothing to do with it. Love is wanting the good for the other. Love is wanting the best for the other. Love is when you are willing to give the other something special. You want you want them to be happy. You will you you wish the happiness of the other, the well-being of the other. You you know, Jesus said himself, you know, greater love has no man than to lay down one's life for his friends. He didn't say sex partners. He said friends. And the reason why is, is because one has to die to oneself. Jesus said himself to pick up one, if one wishes to follow me, if one is my disciple, if he who loves me must pick up his cross and follow me. And that means you have to die to yourself. You have to deny yourself, deny yourself, pick up your cross, deny yourself. And he even said, hate your life. Because he knows how difficult and selfish we can be. He knows how, he knows, he knows this. Someone said the other day, and it was, it was very interesting, this young woman, um, Christ uh, defender, she said that when, you know, because you know how people want to attack Christianity and say that, that Jesus is, is, is really a recreation of, of other myths, like, the Egyptian myths, the the Persian myths, Pithra, or, um, or the Greek myths. And here's the thing that makes interesting. Okay, in in pagan religious or religions in animalistic animalism animalism, the god, the pagan god, and what the pagan god is, um is the essence of something in nature, like a tree or a rock or, or the wind or the sun or the moon or the stars or the grass, the field or the river. You know, a pagan god can be a, is a tree and the tree is the pagan god. And you see this like in Native Americans and and maybe in Hinduism and stuff like that, and even in some some other Amazonian religions. But in Judeo Christianity, God creates everything. He creates the trees, the stars, the moon, the grass, the rocks, and everything. But he is not He is not those elements. He is not. A rock. He's not a tree. 
He's not grass. He's not the stars. He's not a river. You know, he's none of those things. He's not a bird and he's not a butterfly. These things he created and and they're dependent on him. He's not dependent on creation. And the difference is also is that in pagan in pagan paganism, these things work as a cycle, is a continuation of things. In other words, it goes back and forth in cycle, just like nature is a cycle, just like the seasons are cycles. Right? Apollo, according to Greek myth, rides the the, the chariots and drags the sun. And then he goes into, and then it goes into sundown and the goddess or God of the moon and the night comes in play. The same thing in North myth and the same thing happens in Egyptian mythology. Egyptian mythology is a little bit more difficult to, to pinpoint because the Egyptian myths are dependent on the different dynasties that existed and the stories kind of change to match the dynasty because of their doctrine or their, you know, they want to wipe out. That's why Egyptian history is very difficult to read because each dynasty wipes out the other one from existence, basically. And that's why it's very hard to read it. Um, but not Christianity, not Judeo-Christianity. God creates the night. God creates everything. So when you come down to Jesus Christ... She said something which I totally agree with. Here, the word became flesh. God entered his creation. And then God permitted himself to be limited in time and space to his creation. He's born at a particular time and space, at a particular time in history in a particular culture and language, subjugated himself to a political system, right? Even though he is above it, he didn't. He doesn't need to do it. He wanted to do it. He, he chose to do it. And therefore, because he did this, just like us, just like you and me and my friends and your family, and every other single person in history, his actions and movements are unrepeatable. In other words, just like we lose time, he loses time. Just like you can't go back and rewind it. He, his actions, the words he spoke are unique to that time and place. He became, he chose to limit himself just like us. God is not limited to time. He is above and out of time. He doesn't need time, but he chose to put on human flesh, born of a woman, a virgin in in Bethlehem, and he subjugated himself. He chose to, he permitted himself to be limited to that time and place. Every action was unique to the moment. Every word was unique to the moment. Every movement was unique to the moment. Every thought he had was unique to the moment and time. This is what makes Christianity so unique. This is what makes Jesus unbelievably true. Think about it. We venerate his existence. Even though he limited himself to time, now he is beyond time. He is, he, he's always been eternal God and immortal, but he was also a mortal man. He chose a soul. He chose flesh and, and blood and body. And he chose to to lose time like the way we we are. And that's what makes it beautiful. And we venerate his existence. You know, we venerate 
the Gospels. We read them. We reenact we, we these things. We, um, the stations of the cross, the rosary, the seasons, tie, the, the, the liturgical seasons. We celebrate his incarnation into our lives. And that's, that's, that's what I'm, I, you know, I think we should consider this. He loved us, God's, God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. The son of God decided to get baptized when he didn't have any sin. He subjugated himself to go to the desert and to fast. He, Fulton Sheen says in his book, The Life of Christ, he didn't take on human flesh for leisure. He didn't take on human flesh for fun. He took on human flesh for battle, for war. To save us from our sins. To sanctify and to, to make existence holy and beautiful. To liberate us from sins. You know, that's why. All right, I'm going to end it here. Um, let's just say, um, let me see here. Hold on. All right. Um, let's just say the Our, um, Our Father, Three Hail Marys, and the St. Michael Prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. And blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild and wicked attacks of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.